better for y'all. We're a couple of above-average idiots with low-brow commentary on high-brow health and wellness issues. Griff, what's up, man? What's up there, big dog? Nothing much, man. Just glad to be back for another episode of the Beefy Podcast. Oh, fucking A right. Did you see Poppy Mart popping off this weekend? I didn't. What the hell is Poppy Mart? Poppy Mart was the first ever experiential poppy, the prebiotic soda that started on Shark Tank many moons ago, or kind of even a couple of years ago. They launched a, you know, a modern take of a of a poppy branded convenience store in LA this weekend. No kidding. Yep, totally. And lines around the fucking block, dude. Did they have an EDM dance party like is going on next door right this very second? Dude, there, there was Paris Hilton was fucking throwing up hearts and like, <laughs> you know doing that whole thing for sure. Okay, so a beverage company mm. had a pop up shop in LA. You said, yeah. Uh, well, somewhere in Southern California, we're all we have to imagine <laughs> that's where all the pop up shops start, yeah. right? Uh, and their shit, they should stay. Let's just be clear. <laughs> Keep all, you, LA, greater Southern California, you can have all the pop-up shops. <laughs> okay. Why, why? So like poppy is this soda beverage. You said it was on shark tank. It's obviously got some popularity. It's in grocery stores everywhere. Why did they have a pop-up shop? What's the, what was the point there? That's a great question. They were dropping a new flavor. Obviously they've got the mind share of a lot of popular people out there in the world kylie jenner russell westbrook uh paris hilton you know there's a lot of people that are that stand behind these the, these new this new wave of prebiotic beverages now are these paid influencers or are these investors because i understand that like recently there's become a movement of celebrities investing in products um i hope i don't get this wrong but i think like kobe bryant for example was invested in body armor uh, things like that, right? Are, are these, do you know, are these guys invested? To my knowledge, they're not. But the whole Shark Tank ecosystem, you know, you get picked up on there. There's a good chance that, I mean, you've got this this marketing freight train right behind it. So it's a, it's a great way to get a lot of eyes on your product really quick. Mm -hmm. And it came at a time when people were beginning to, really dig deep into their health. You know, 2019, 2020, people really started to unravel all of the things that they were putting into their body. And so mm -hmm. this was, it seemed like it was ripe for disruption mm -hmm. in the $42 billion, however much soda category yeah. um, that's out there. But yeah, so I, I don't believe that Poppy has any celebrity investors besides the initial shark. Mm -hmm. But I could be wrong there. Yeah. I think what what's more interesting is why these these beverages have gained so much space on the shelf, why they're moving so many units and even more are they relying on shoddy science? Are they are they lying to consumers about what is actually in that can because I have proof that they are. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I was waiting for that, dude. I was like, something tells me this guy has some information to share. I think it's a bunch of smoke and mirrors personally. Um, and it is borderline criminal what they're doing. Hmm. 
Dang. So really quick, because mm-hmm. I just want to paint uh, the 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 scene here. Obviously, you and I have uh, experience in the kombucha mm-hmm. industry. You know the the broader, better for you beverage category. Poppy and and, and sort of its competitor brand, one of its competitor brands, Olipop, came up somewhat adjacent to kombucha in the better for you beverage space. In fact, I remember Poppy was used to be named something else. I forget what it was. And they went through a rebrand because the name was super unappealing. It had like uh, something to do with apple cider vinegar. Oh, dude, when, when, when Poppy uh, pitched on Shark Tank, it was mother beverage. That's right. Yeah. And, and it was like drinking was vinegar. Cider, yeah, essentially. They were like making apple cider vinegar cool. Yeah. But it wasn't cool at all at that time. Like, no. I, like the, the, the shark obviously saw something. They completely rebranded the mm, whole thing. Mm. It is. It looks nothing like what it what was pitched. But yeah, it is adjacent to kombucha in that it it kind of plays on the the gut health thing with the prebiotic fiber that's inside of it. So that's and, the claim: is there's prebiotics in these beverages? Yes, yeah, totally. And what is is supposedly the health benefit or claim around prebiotics? Prebiotics act as fuel for your, the commensal bacteria that live in your colon. What is commensal bacteria? They live with us. They okay. support our physiology. So the, the microbiome as it's kind of yeah. popularly known. Yeah, yeah okay. totally. Gotcha. And so these prebiotics feed the good bacteria that we need and want in our digestive system that, that are, help us break down food and stuff Yeah, like that. they then make what are called short-chain fatty acids, and these things drive a variety. They're kind of like the, the energy source for a variety of processes within us. Mm-hmm. So when, you, when you're taking prebiotics, it, the idea is, or w- really when you're consuming fiber, the idea being that you're not taking this fiber as a fuel source for the human body. You're taking it to feed your microbiome. I see. It's not for you. It's for them. You're doing something good (laughs) for those little dudes downstairs who are keeping it all churning. Exactly. Exactly. When people think of fiber, I mean, I think for a long time, the popular vision of fiber was like those Metamucil tablets or like a scoop out of the thing that like your grandpa would take to keep them regular. How is it that a beverage company is making fiber popular? How are they fitting fiber, which I think of as like roughage, salad greens, things like that, into a liquid form? Right. So that's, that's the big question. Fiber, let's, let's look at what, what fiber is, you know, basically at its, at its molecular core. So it's essentially glucose, sugar attached to a string of fructose molecules. Okay. Another sugar. Yeah. It sounds, sounds like a lot of sugar so far. Totally. Yeah. The pro, the thing, the, what makes it, it really cool though, is the bonds that attach all those molecules are impervious to our digestive enzymes. So let's take a let's take a taproot vegetable. You know, something like a in this case, it's what's called chicory root fiber is a is is one that's in um, in Olipop. Poppy, I believe, is using agave inulin. So in this taproot, you have these cells, and these cells are covered with cellulose and hemicellulose and pectin. And as this, this broom of material moves through your body, it gets, it, 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 like I said, it's impervious to digestion until it gets into the superhero intestine down there into the, into the colon. Mm -hmm. 
So it's like, At, it's not breaking down until the very last stage of digestion. Right, exactly. So it, it can't be used. It's not used as a, as a carbohydrate source to like, like sugar would be. So like put sugar, like energy into your own cells. Right. Right. So all of the hemicellulose, the cellulose, the pectin, it kind of gets scraped away. We'll say just for, you know. And so this is when you, you eat the whole chicory root or, or some sort of f like powder fibrous, of it. Yeah. Some sort of fibrous vegetable or what well, you're talking about Metamucil, that's psyllium husks. Okay. Um, yeah. Some, you know, there's insoluble fibers, which are not, which are not soluble in water. They cause this, um, you know, gelatinous, um, kind of like a, a mu mucusy sort of um, substrate that, that serves to kind of act as a broom and mm. work its way through your system. Now, this, this is interesting because I've always wondered why fiber appears under total carbohydrates on a nutrition panel must be because it is actually comprised of sugars, but they're just not sugars that are fully accessible to the, the human digestive system. So th is that why we subtract fiber from total carbohydrates when you're looking for like your, you know, the sugar content exactly, of a food? Exactly, dude, exactly. And that, this is, this is the loophole this, that's the, these beverages are exploiting. So the FDA has in place where on your nutrition panel, you can put the amount of fiber in the original mass of that physical bolus of fiber. So in the case of, of Olipop and Poppy, you know, they've got either agave or chicory root, and they're putting the mass of fiber that stands originally before any extract. So upon extraction, you release that, you know, sweet treat in the middle of, of that, of that cell, that inulin, which is a essentially a carbohydrate storage molecule. So after upon extraction, that becomes readily available to the human body to use as a fuel source, just as it would any other sugar. So let me get this straight. They're basically taking the the chocolatey center out of the middle of the Tootsie Pop. The body has no has no three licks to do to get to the middle. There's no time spent or wasted in this case getting to that sugar reward in uh, which we would ordinarily perceive a, a, as fiber and use as fiber. You're just going straight to the sugar source. Right. So and they're basically just putting sugar into a beverage but calling it fiber. Yeah, totally. They're kind of stealing the valor wow. of fiber. Fiber. And I mean, and Poppy also has added sugar. We'll just oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, not not to mention that. Interesting. So, and this is being borne out. You, you you're seeing a number of people. I mean, you've probably seen these these folks that uh, wear a CGM and then eat different food products or drink a different beverage and show you the results. You've seen some of these people. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So. There are basically everyone who... Mm -hmm. Sorry, really quick. For those that aren't uh, nerds like Griff and somewhat myself, uh, CGM, Continuous Glucose Monitor, measures your blood sugar yep. uh, in real time. You can, they have like apps and stuff. It's crazy. Anyways, continue. Yeah, so everybody everybody who's, who's uh, consuming these beverages and putting it on display, they are showing a glucose spike after consuming these beverages. Interesting. So... Which would indicate, obviously, that, that there's, you know, fuel source for the human body. Yeah, there's, uh, there's two, there's, there's sugar present there yeah. for you to consume. Which, you know, whatever, I, I think if we're, if the goal is only to, if, if, if the goal is let's help people cut back on consuming Coca-Cola, then 
and if that was their only stated goal, then I think I'd just say whatever and move on and we, we'd go on to the next thing. And by and large, I think Poppy is not really leaning too hard into the nutrition side of it. You know, they're more fun lifestyle brand kind of thing. But Olipop is definitely exploiting the purported benefits of fiber and, you know, plant-based lifestyle mm -hmm. from this beverage. So Olipop, interestingly, as it pertains to us, they actually, the founders of that company, before they started Olipop, they actually had a kombucha company. Oh, they really? went out of business, yeah. Oh. So so they were they were <laughs> two time grifters, are they? No, I, I mean no disrespect. I'm sure they're great people, but but this is interesting because this 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 ties directly into something that's really nagging at me right now, which is I wanna know what's behind it's just it's unfortunate that there there are these categories that spring up, like kombucha, like which we have direct experience in, as we stated before. Uh, that become so popular because uh, consumers are looking for this magic bullet to fix whatever it is that's wrong in their in their diet or their life. In that case, it was probiotics, right? Uh, and then it, the industry booms around the health benefits of probiotics, and then the the studies bear out the reality of that situation, which is well, probiotics aren't a one size fits all magic bullet for everything. In fact, in some cases they can actually be detrimental to your gut health. They can produce overabundance of certain bacterial strains that you, that, that, that cause your, your microbiome to go out of whack. Obviously, uh, you know, this craze around prebiotics, prebiotics are good for you, but then trying to shoehorn them into this very like hyper palatable, uh, vessel, this delivery mechanism in the form of this beverage has, bastardized it sort of and and now people are consuming something that is kind of in a sense maybe not overtly not good for them but at very least not fulfilling the advertised health benefit or claim that they might be attaching to it mentally so um, two sides of this question that i'd maybe like you to address if you if you would you know why is it that all the better for you categories tend to one by one fall prey to advertising something that, that, that appears to ultimately not become the case. And what is it with the human, with the American consumer, perhaps that, that draws us into these magic bullet fixes for our, our, our diet? The answer to the first one is with biology and with many other things in life, you know, for every gimme, there's a gotcha, you know, the, there's no free lunch. You know, there's a reason these cliches exist. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't just have the, you can't have your cake and eat it too. <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you can stop at three. That's plenty. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we, as humans want, we, we've been kind of misled into believing that, you know, health can originate from a can or a factory, you know, we're, we're told we're, we're very, you know, we're under the influence by, you know, various media outlets, various influencers, you know, we see somebody who we look up to who paid or not is fit, rich, has great skin, 
you know, they're, they must poop at the same time every day. And it's always very consistent. It's also beautiful, (laughs) fit, wealthy. (laughs) You know, we see this and like, by and large, a lot of us have, you know, we want that quick fix. It's much easier to do that. And that's not to say that there aren't benefits to these things also, you know, I mean, over the last, I mean, I guess it was 10 years ago when we kind of had a good, good grip on the, you know, sequencing the human microbiome. And, and since then, that's when you've really started to see the gut health conversation take off. And so as people began to, you know, people spent years and consumers spent tens of thousands of dollars on probiotics only to find out that they weren't the magic bullet that we thought they were, but we're still, they're still, they must, they must still have some benefit. They must still be something good because we're still understanding that, you know, there's the, the origins of our dopaminergic system, you know, has something to do with our microbiome. You know, we see negative impacts in our microbiome from certain disease processes. So if something, if we're seeing, you know, a depleted microbiome or unhealthy microbiome and disease, then a healthy microbiome must mean, you know, a healthy organism, a healthy human. So, so we're still looking for how we can figure out how to strengthen the bugs that maybe are still down there, just maybe not as viable as they once were, maybe ways that we can build back the populations, the colonies that, that we started with, you know, and that's where prebiotics came into, came into fashion. Um, now we're looking at this whole, it, what we need to realize is this is like an ecosystem and these are all kind of communication molecules that, that our bacteria use and, you know, all the organisms use to signal to one another to do certain things. So now we're, we're kind of focused on this idea of postbiotics, right? It's prebiotics feed the probiotics and the probiotics make postbiotics. And that's a very simplified explanation of that whole system. And it doesn't exactly work like that. Um, but that's, uh, this all goes to show that we have very per- little perfect knowledge on what these interventions can or can't do for us. Mm-hmm. And, and what, you've, what, what we do, there is some research showing that in a dysbiotic gut, which most people are experiencing at any given time, that the consumption of these fiber extracts, which are rapidly fermentable when they get into your body, especially when they, when they get down to the colon, those things get, they, they ferment really quickly. Mm. Whereas, you know, the, the actual bolus of soluble or insoluble fibers that we consume in the form of like vegetables, you know, those take time to degrade. Mm. When we have that rapidly fermentable fiber extract, hit the colon in a dysbiotic system, which, you know, is generally caused by the Western diet. We see, we actually are starting to see this in mouse models given, Mm -hmm. you know, this is not, this hasn't been borne out in humans yet, but in mouse models, we're seeing um, liver cancer from these rapidly fermentable fiber extracts. Hmm. So, and, and why, 
Why liver cancer specifically? Is there any indication as, as to that? What's the mechanism there? So there's, uh, well, the liver, you know, per, the liver processes excess glucose into glycogen where it stores glycogen for, you know, where you kind of, it's like a reserve for you know, energy for reserve for energy for your cells around the body. Sure. Um, so, you know, in, when we have excess, uh, we have excess carbohydrate consumption as in the Western diet, then that winds up becoming those carbohydrates wind up, you know, uh, turning into fat instead. Mm. And that's the energy source. There's another, uh, there's another mechanism called, uh, I think it, I think the actual cancer that it causes is called um, hepatic steatosis. Um, so I don't know the exact medical, um, you know, pathology here, mm. but there's, but the liver directly deals with the conversion of sugar or storage of sugar, uh, into either energy or or fat, and so something about the the fermentation of these soluble fibers is is putting the liver under a tremendous amount of strain or dysfunction in some way. That's in mouse models, at least at yep. this point, yep. pointing to a prevalence of, of potential you know cancerous outcomes. Potentially, hmm. interesting. You know, so again, like if this were just about capturing a little bit of uh, or helping people wean themselves off of soda, which I think that is it is doing. I think it's making a dent, but it's a very small dent. Yeah. Again, that the soda industry is like forty-two billion, and I think between Poppy and Olipop and all of the prebiotic, uh, prebiotic sodas, it's like a billion-dollar category right now. Mm -hmm. So, so they're making so, a dent, but yeah, they're making just a one. dent. But the problem is, Olipop has been very vocal about a clinical trial that they supported, and you know this clinical trial is. Used in, in PR placements, in, there's a, a big Forbes article about Olipop. You know, I, I see any, a lot of the write-ups that you see about Olipop, or at least that you did see uh, while they were growing, touted the benefits based on this clinical study that they performed. Um, I mean, kudos to them for actually doing that, because that's by by and large, way more than, than any other food and beverage brand ever does, especially mm -hmm. a small one. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a very easy paper to find. I scoured PubMed, Web of Science, uh, couldn't find it. Every auth every Everybody that's on their scientific board, um, you know, I referenced all of their names, couldn't find this paper. Finally, I, I saw somebody talking about the paper on, on LinkedIn and I kind of chirped, you know, I was like, has anybody actually ever seen this study or read this paper? And wouldn't you know it, a grad student who did some analyses on it, um, sent me the paper. Awesome. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So I read through it, dug into it and essentially there was, uh, four subjects. It was, Four subjects who, uh, two of which saw a increase in butyrate production and bifidobacteria populations. So those are good things. Yeah, ostensibly. Okay. Um, two saw a difference from baseline. Two were unremarkable. Um, 
whether or not that difference seen from baseline has any clinical relevance, there's so much that, again, that we don't know about what, what goes on with our microbiome and its metabolites and how they are used for downstream signaling. We have a good idea, but there's a lot of crosstalk. They do a lot of things. They do a lot of things differently in different bodies with different organisms. You know, I mean, this is, this, we're talking about just a, a diverse array of species producing a variety of metabolites in all kinds of different ecosystems. Mm, I mean, you just, know, disease states, healthy states, you name it. So too many variables to draw any variables. like real conclusions. Yeah. A lot of variables for them to unequivocally say uh, the, you know, the, the, the clinical trial they've, they've supported supports their, their take that this is actually good for you. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, uh, just a question on the population. I mean, four people in a study, like how robust is that as a, a population within this field of study or this type of study? Yeah. I mean, probably pretty low, low power on that, you know? I so mean, typically you'd want to see more people studied. So you had a, a greater representation of, of the outcomes across more people. You'd sure love to, if you were being so vocal about, if, if that was your main evidentiary driver, you know, of, of, um, of utility for this, this beverage, then yeah, you would, you would need a much more robust sample set there. Mm. Um, now, you know how I feel, I mean, I still like anecdotal evidence. Sure. I still think there's some value there. I still believe that, that there's, that they, that Olipop has done, you know, at this point, probably more good than harm. Sure. At but, its at its initial goal of maybe trying to pull some people away from from soda because of just the abundance of of sugar and and the you know impact that an overconsumption of sugar can have on the human body. So right. like, that's but, good. I know that Olipop has stevia in it. Do you know? Does Poppy have an, a a non nutritive sweetener like that in it? Also stevia, stevia. And, and sugar. Okay. Um and the 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 big the big thing to to wonder is if you if you're getting all of your fiber from a soda like it'd be wise to take a closer look at, at your diet yeah well i think i think <laughs> that know? really that really strikes to the second question that i asked you which is like what is it about american culture that causes people to want this magic bullet I mean, I, I think that Americans are constantly seeking the path of least resistance to the outcome that they want, which isn't inherently on its face a bad thing, perhaps can motivate really creative and clever solutions. And, you know, maybe, a, you know, a soda that has some of these compounds in it that gets them to drink a little less sugar, like is a facet of that approach that could work. But it's like, you can't you can't get all the fiber in your diet that you need from a liquid, right? No, no. And, I mean, the, you know, the, it's, it's recommended, right? The, which the, the, the dietary guy, like the recommendations for, um, for macronutrients, uh, really antiquated. I think it was based on like 20 college kids in New York, like 50, 60 years ago or something. 
What? Yeah, I'm not exactly. <laughs> well, we just got some new dietary guidelines. Did we dig into what the what the updates were? Uh, so we, 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 we haven't week? gotten all the guidelines, and oh. right now they're they're mainly focused on um, health equity. Mm. You know, they're they're making sure that they address all of the um, cultural and and ethnic um, barriers to adoption of whatever guidelines they they put out there. Um, Interesting. So what? that's that's where the big focus is right now. Well, what, is, what does that look like? Well, specifically, they are looking. I, I know that they have. A, there's a Native American woman on um, on the committee, and so she is looking at how at health disparities in Native American populations and um, how you know the it, how the indigenous diet can be adapted to whatever guidelines are, are put out there because mm. you know here's the thing it's like we have like culturally appropriate foods or whatever that, that sure. you know cultures have consumed for millennia uh and and those have gotten adapted in the modern world to where they still kind of like eat these culturally appropriate diets but just with shittier ingredients mm. you know it's like they still resemble what they were but yeah. they're like you know shadows of their former exactly you know benefit or mm. what have you that's interesting i mean yeah I, and i think that that that's seems relevant like and and reasonable to me that you should consider hmm like maybe dietary guidelines for like just an entire country of incredibly diverse people like let's just boil all the way down, uh, you know, 350 plus million individuals who all have extremely unique individual dietary needs, maybe shouldn't be a thing. Like maybe we shouldn't be subjecting all of those diverse individuals to one set of guidelines. In fact, maybe people should be a little more curious about what their own unique needs are and serving their own unique, you know, uh, dietary, you know, purpose or what I would have you. I worry that it's going to be used as a crutch for people to continue to eat like shit, uh, personally, because go to, go to like, um, and this is, I, I've go to, go to an ethnic market. There's still plenty uh, most, a lot of processed garbage. Oh, for sure. You know, and, and, and like most of the ethnic, eth a lot of ethnic markets don't have a great, you know, don't have like great fresh produce or whatever. Mexican markets tend to have like, you know, what, what appears, a lot of markets will ha have a really interesting and deep selection of meats and, you know, various offal and stuff like that, mm -hmm. whether or not these are, you know, regenerative, regeneratively raised animals or any of that, like is, is, is up, up for question. And, and the importance of that is a whole different conversation, but mm. I find that by and large, when you pop into an ethnic market, you're, you're buying ultra processed foods. Well, I, I think so, that there, there's two ways to look at this, this sort of like culturally appropriate food conversation. It's like contemporary, uh, contemporarily culturally appropriate, right? Like modern day foods, many of which, I mean, you could find junk food in any culturally appropriate category now yeah. versus like sort of more of an ancestrally culturally appropriate diet, right? right? Which is probably the spirit of that, right? Like what would an indigenous individual have eaten a hundred years ago? Well, maybe you should look at that and what made those societies and cultures healthy versus, well, why do we see such an obesity epidemic within indigenous populations now? You know, 
I don't know. Isn't it true they don't they don't process sugar the same way or as well? Alcohol yeah. has a much more you know profound impact on those individuals. So like there are components of the contemporary diet that that have proven to be really deleterious to that population. So perhaps you know the evolution of a diet within a culture over time should be more considered than say what uh, the contemporary alternatives to like a Western diet would be because they're all just, you can find junk food in any one of those culture, cultural diets today. Yeah. I just, again, I, I worry that this is, well, a it's evidentiary of, of just a standard, you know, modern day government boondoggle, you know, <laughs> <laughs> hey, like at, at its core, we all, we all need, we all have like pretty similar requirements for sure, you know? So like, and, and we're, and our current guidelines aren't even coming close to satisfying that. Yeah. So like, let's like more focus on, I mean, right now, like, you know, they still, it's still recommended that you can have up to like 20 grams of sugar a day or something like that. Like, like it's not, it's a non, it's an, it's not essential for life. You know what? You know? And, and so, so again, like that's just one, that's, that's one little piece of it. We're, we're failing. Our, our guidelines are failing humans and it's starting and it's happening around the world. Totally. You know, so like, like maybe instead of bringing the, you know, DEI police into the fucking guidelines, we just focus on like making our people stronger, healthier fitter happier i think that's all well and good yeah. and I th but i for one would really love an ethnic food guideline you know being of irish descent i would love to see a food pyramid that's <laughs> meat potatoes maybe some root vegetables but primarily guinness right in the middle you know as, as a primary food group i think that'd be pretty great yeah i mean they well they did uh it's funny you bring up alcohol because they they were discussing how they were going to incorporate alcohol. No, into no the way. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, they, I think they ultimately decided to kind of table that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hope they did. Yeah. Oh, geez. That's so, just wild. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, I, I think, you know, another big aspect of why these better for you sodas are coming about and why we're talking about fiber so much is because of, the popularity of, of plant-based diets. Hmm. Um, or at least it's, it has some, I mean, there's, there's, there's something there, you know, we, that typically is one of the hard driving arguments against the carnivore diet is that we're not going to be get, you know, those, those individuals who are doing keto or whatever, aren't getting the fiber that they need and you'll get various camps debating the benefits of fiber or if there are any, I personally believe they are. I, I, I find that fiber keeps me, keeps my bowels very consistent. Um, the research shows that consuming fiber, especially if you're consuming a, a, a diet very rich in, in animal foods, that that fiber helps kind of divert some of that TMAO production that, that we had talked about before, which is this molecule that's, uh, it's like a, 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 a nitrous amine uh, that's generated from the fermentation of meat. 
um, and it's associated with some colorectal cancers in some studies. Now, again, a lot of other things go into, you know, I mean, are we talking about processed meats with nitrates and, you know, mm. and all the deleterious effects that are associated with the standard American shit meat? Uh, or are we talking about high quality, just straight up good, good beef? But anyway, the the fiber helps kind of divert some of that uh, some of that initial fermentation um, to more benign molecules in that TMAO. Hmm. Um, at least that's what some of the research says. I, I incorporate a little bit of fiber in my diet. Um, that's neither here nor there. I think again, why this conversation is bubbling up is out of this this plant based propaganda that, that we're seeing so much. 